Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe he didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. We're going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Thanks for tuning in to the uh, show wherever you're listening, whether it's on this station right here by downloading the podcast or by streaming on demand at sportingjournalradio.com. The pheasant opener is uh, here for some of the uh, some of the people around the area. Tiny is very excited about it, obviously. And then October 16 and 17 is when we're going to open up in Minnesota and also Wisconsin opens up for pheasants as well, too. So, of course, whenever we talk pheasants, we got to have Jared Wicklund, public relations specialist with Pheasants Forever on the show. Jared, how are you doing? Hey, Brett. Great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been a, a fast start to the fall and we're getting close to the favorite time of year for Upland Hunters, which is a great thing. Now, hunting season has been open uh, in some sort of another or, or another so, some form of hunting seasons have been open somewhere. And uh, of course, we've been taking advantage of it. So have you. And I'm real jealous about one hunt you went on. You went elk hunting recently. Yeah, I went on a Western uh, elk hunt with my father. And I think if COVID taught us anything or taught me personally anything, it's that you just can't wait to do those types of trips because you just you, you just don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. So my dad and I are uh, just real good hunting buddies. We have been. He's the one that mentored me as a kid. And we went out west, and he shot a beautiful, beautiful bull elk, uh, a very large one. And I ended up taking a, a cow elk at about 125 yards through dark timber and turned out to be awesome. Uh, came home. Uh, I've shot a few geese and uh, shot, uh, shot a nice limit of – uh, rough grouse this past weekend on an anniversary trip up the North Shore. So yeah, it's been a incredible start to the season, and and uh, doing it with loved ones, I think, makes it makes it all the more special. Yeah, absolutely. How was grouse hunting? Did uh, you were able to see them? A lot of leaves are still on the trees up there. Yeah, there's there's still a lot of leaves, and I was kind of going between my 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 pointer and the lab, um, and the the pointer sort of won out, especially for early season, to give you an idea. So, that, that the bird is there. And, you know, obviously the lab's got a, got an easy tell to her. Like I, I, I know when she's on a bird and, and she goes in and flushes it, but yeah, it's just having a pointer early season, I think makes all the difference. And, uh, I really like hunting with the flushers. We get later in the season, she, she works, you know, 20 yards and in, and, uh, that that's plenty close for, for getting grouse, uh, once the leaves are down. So it, it worked out well. They both did great. They both got in the birds and both got to retrieve a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful time on the North shore. The leaves haven't quite peaked yet though. Um, still a lot of leaves up and, and not as much color as I actually thought there was going to be. So that was kind of interesting. interesting. I'll tell you what, man, I love my labs, but, uh, the more I, the more time I spend, uh, chasing upland birds around, the more, the more I want to get a pointer, Jared. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, 
my first bird dog coda who you you hunted with before she passed away uh from cancer um you know i've always loved hunting with labs and and luna who i have now is great but uh jackson i got from my father when they moved down to tucson arizona and he just didn't have uh enough enough time to dedicate and uh he's he's been a real godsend for, for my for my upland hunting efforts um he i, I haven't put much he's kind of just natural talent haven't put much time and effort into him but uh he holds point pretty good uh he's a heck of a retriever for being an english pointer uh which some people can't uh claim and uh yeah it's it's been a great season thus far and the, the pointer has been a big part of it well obviously I, I do a lot of duck hunting and uh you know george lyle right um i do i do yeah. have runnings right yeah so we hunted with george last weekend and uh he's got that english cocker spaniel mini which I always thought it was mini, like M-I-N-I, because it was ti- like tiny. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it, that's why I called her mini. No, it was M-I-N-N-I-E, so I spelled her name wrong. Mini Mouse. Right, spelled <laughs> her name wrong on social media, but tiny little dog. And I- I've seen, you know, we both know a few people that have those for pheasant hunting. And I've seen those dogs. They're, they're amazing. Uh, yep. But it was, it was fun to watch her uh, go retrieve teal in the water, too, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go, right there. There okay, it is. Right there. But... Um, yeah, so that that's kind of fun, and I I don't know, like I, I it every year I say I want to get I want to add a pointer to the mix, and then I just end up with labs. So uh, we'll see. Oh, maybe we'll see. maybe one of the maybe one of these years have changed your mind. You know, I, I've always thought about when the English pointer goes away. Um, I've kind of looked at small small moonsterlanders a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought about uh, drawthars. Uh, look, I'm kind of. Kind of looking for maybe something a little different. I'd like to get a pointer. I really like the pointer lab mix, and uh, yeah. I think you would too if you got one. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's talk pheasants. Um, yes, sir. The drought really affected things this year. Uh, maybe just real quick talk about how droughts affect pheasant numbers. Well, really, you know, drier weather is good for pheasants to a point. And I think that's uh, that's something a lot of upland hunters don't don't quite understand. You you think, you know, there's a a generalization out there when pheasants come through an easy winter, um, populations are going to be way up. And that's not always the case. And and this year might be one of those, especially with drought. So it affects a, a number of different things. Number one. Uh, if it's hot, uh, it can affect the eggs a little bit. There's not much research out there uh, pointing to that as far as, you know, what, what temperature affects them uh, or, or maybe the hens come off the nest. Um, the other one would be grass production. Um, you know, uh, height of grass, that's 16, 18 inches. You got to have it uh, and for, for good nesting purposes. Uh, but the big one is bug production. When you don't yeah. uh, have enough moisture and you don't have enough, uh, you know, grass growth or habitat growth, it affects bug, bug production. And what those chicks eat for their first couple months of life is 100% soft-bodied insects. And if you don't have that, um, it can be a very disastrous situation uh, for pheasant broods. So that's kind of what we're looking at this year. And then You've also got the roadside counts as well, uh, which, you know, they're done in August where there's typically dew on the landscape and um, DNR volunteers are driving routes and, and counting pheasants and their broods and flushing them to see how many are there. Uh, but when we have dry weather like we did this year, we had dry, smoky weather uh, in August. Uh, you know, the, the roadside counts were down, but the DNR did say in there, and it's I, I would agree with them that it might not tell the whole tale of what the pheasant abundance really is in the landscape 
due to the fact that those birds didn't need to come out to roadsides uh, as much with without as, as any dew that we had. So that, it'll be an interesting year because I've, I've heard mixed results from people. I've had uh, a buddy who farms a thousand acres down in southwest Minnesota saying he's seen oodles. That's the word he used. Oodles of pheasants. Um, so, and I've had other people that have, you know, hunted or, uh, done the roadside counts where the count that they submitted, they went back and did it a couple days later, uh, and they saw, you know, 20, 30 more birds per route. So it's hard, it's hard to say. And then lastly, I'll point out is that, um, there was evidence from the, from the DNR, um, Tim Lyons was telling me on a, a call that we tried to have earlier today, uh, that they had evidence of hens nesting in the en end of August, early September. And I guess mm -hmm. I would see evidence of that around my house for a brood that my, my wife showed me a picture of the other day or a video. Um, they, they weren't colored out yet. They weren't fully mature. Um, and that could be a saving grace for pheasant hunters here in the fall of 2021. Yeah, I definitely saw more broods later than I did earlier this year so uh, hopefully they had a little more nest success later in the year obviously the egg numbers go down when they when they do that but um yep. lots of I've, I've been hearing a lot of crowing and uh, a lot of roosters in the morning so um that could mean a couple of things of course it could mean for some tougher hunting too because some of those might be adult birds that have made it through and uh, have played the game once or twice already <laughs> yep. little, little bit more little bit more savvy roosters out on the landscape yeah it's it's going to be an interesting year overall you know i think the other aspect people are talking about is with the drought uh we had more haying and grazing of crp mm. acres especially on private lands maybe some walk-in lands as well um so these these honey holes that people have gone to in the past um they might be totally gone they might be partially gone uh it's hard to say but i think you're gonna early season you're gonna see uh all of the hunters that come out, especially for the first three weekends of the season, are going to be combined into kind of a little bit smaller areas. Uh, but I, I really think the late season, the late season hunters, the veterans this uh, this year are, are really going to get some good pheasant hunting as as we get some some snow and some cold temperatures. That's when I like to go when there's some snow on the ground and uh, get out there and hunt a little bit and you have a little bit more access to some of the public lands. There's not as many hunters out there. And uh, I don't know, I just like, I, I like cooler temps. I like being out there later in the season for everything. Honestly, I like later season duck hunting. I like later season uh, pheasant yep. hunting. My deer hunting, I, my, my bow hunting isn't as successful later season. So I like to do that a little bit earlier. But, <laughs> um, when, it, when it comes to some of that, um, that hang and grazing and some of that emergency stuff, obviously that's happening on private lands too. There seems like there's some more hang because there maybe some crops weren't planted in certain areas. And then we watched a lot of sloughs get plowed up here this spring too, uh, for, for good or for bad. I mean, I, I understand why the farmers are doing it, but I, I watched a couple of good sloughs get plowed up, um, that I know of held pheasants in the past, but, uh, I can't, can't fault the farmer for trying to reclaim his land a little bit, but it's just unfortunate to lose some of that habitat. But then with some of these really dry conditions, man, there's going to be a lot of sloughs that you can walk these days that have been like, I don't know, I, for up until last year, the previous probably four years, I just planned on being wet the entire time I was pheasant hunting. I planned on going <laughs> breaking through yeah. ice. My boots would fill up with water. I was constantly wet and just dealt with it. Last year, I hunted in my slip-on shoes for, for a good part of the season. 
and I have a feeling it's going to be that way again this year. So it's going to be, uh, you're going to be able to access some areas you might not have been able to in years past. I think there's a, there's a huge difference. I think a lot of people remember the fall of 2019 when we got a whole bunch of rain followed by a huge dump of wet snow. I believe that was in October. Mm -hmm. Um, and we had more dumps of wet snow after that and the sloughs never really froze over. So a lot of people, uh, myself included when, you know, you're five foot eight on a good day, um, (laughs) trying to go out, trying to go out and walk cattails with the worry of falling through. You don't know how, you don't know how deep some of those are. You're out there by yourself. Um, so I always caution people if you're hunting late season by yourself, make sure you know where you're going. You got to make sure some of those areas uh, are are frozen solid because you just don't know how deep they are if you're just hunting them for the first time. But you're absolutely correct. The drought, um, you know, mo- most of the areas around my house with the drought, there's cattail sloughs that have been wet for the last seven years since I moved in here and they're completely dry right now. So there's going to be just some pretty big opportunities to reach reach places and some of those, what uh, I think some people refer to as hell holes. Um, and th- th- that's where the birds are going to be. But you're going to be able to reach them this year, I think, um, in an easier fashion due to, due to the drier conditions. Well, I was definitely expecting the uh, pheasant season to open up on, on uh, October 9th this year. Uh, but it's October 16th, and I've been able to, I'm sure it's some sort of state statute where the opener has to be on close, Saturday closest to whatever, but I can't figure out why we're opening up on the 16th this year. But in any case, I have a feeling it's going to be like last year, Jared, where a lot of those crops are out prior to the opener. There's crops coming out all over the place this year, too. So I think, uh, I think there's going to be more birds in the grass for hunters on opener. Yeah, talking uh, talking with biologists, talking with farmers and, and friends of mine that are in the agricultural sector, um, crops are coming out of the field and they're they're pretty well dried down in some places already. So you're absolutely right. I mean, they're going to need that extra time uh, to 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 dry out in the field. So they're pulling it out right now. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of a lot of corn harvest. Certainly, bean harvest is going to be done, uh, but corn harvest as well is going to be ahead of schedule this year. Uh, and that means that means good things for, for early season if we can get most of that out of there and not have a place for, for those birds to go and hang out for the day. All right. What about um, the Dakotas, uh, maybe Iowa or Wisconsin? What are, what are the other states around Minnesota uh, going to see maybe for their openers, you think? And there's their seasons. Yeah, you know, I think I think Iowa this year uh, is going to be strong again. Uh, their roadside counts overall were a little bit down, uh, but there were some regions that were significantly up, uh, especially the West Central and Northwest regions. And little anecdotal story, I actually went went down to check out a land acquisition um, in in Northwestern Iowa, Western Iowa, uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, especially when the the haying and grazing really started to get going at the beginning of beginning of August or middle of August. And, um, you know, hay and grazing is part of the game. And we, we, we support that uh, from the conservation side. There's got to be some take and give. And CRP, not only has it been great for, for wildlife, water quality, and soil health, but it's also acted as a safety net for farmers and ranchers over the years. And when we have drought, um, it's one of the viable feed sources out there. But on my trip down to Iowa, uh, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of haying going on. Uh, but behind each one of the bales... It seemed like every other bale, there was a brood standing behind it. So the CRP did its job. Um, the eastern side of the state, I think, saw a little bit downfall this year. They had some pretty tough weather conditions. 
uh, you know, over 30 inches of snow followed by a lot of ice and uh, they had those really cold temperatures for two weeks. But um, Iowans are going to have a, a, a good season this year in particular parts of the state. Um, South Dakota, I think there's going to be more broods out there than what people imagine. There has also same. All these states are uh, there's not really any difference between them. There's been a lot of hay and grazing going on. Um, South Dakota saw some uh, pretty unique uh, heavy drought conditions uh, throughout the summer. Uh, but folks have talked with, uh, especially when they started their started some of their uh, taking some of the grass off, uh, you know, for cattle ranchers. Uh, they were seeing more broods than they thought they'd see. So that's good. Mm. And, uh, you know, North Dakota's kind of following suit. They they didn't have much much rain this year. Um, and uh, I think they were down overall um, for their pheasant counts. But um, there are certain areas there. I, I would encourage people to take a look at, uh, you know, weather maps or uh, precipitation maps throughout the, throughout the summer. And those areas that had localized events where they had normal rainfall, um, that that might be one of the keys to finding where there's going to be some pretty good uh, pheasant hunting opportunities this year. Wisconsin's got some different things going on over there. They they do a lot of pheasant stocking, so I know some places you can actually shoot hens in some of these areas. So I, I assume that's obviously because they're just all released birds anyway. Um, they open October 16th. Uh, limit is one rooster on opening weekend, then two the rest of the year. What what's going on in Wisconsin, and why don't they have more wild birds over there? Wisconsin's interesting, you know. Um, I've talked to some of our biologists and members who hunt, uh, you know, the western side of the state where they have their uh, actual wild populations uh, or the, their largest wild populations. And uh, people do act, do pretty good over there, wildlife management areas, but in particular, uh, waterfall production areas. But you're right, they do offer um, stock birds in some of those locations. It really comes down to grass cover. Uh, when you look at Wisconsin and you start kind of going east from there and look at some of these other states, when you look at the amount of CRP acres they have compared to places like Minnesota, Iowa, the Dakotas, Kansas, Nebraska, um, it really tells the full story right there. Uh, pheasants are a grass grassland bird, and when you put uh, grasslands with um, some type of agricultural crop, particularly grains, uh, pheasants do well. Um, parts of Wisconsin, they just don't have enough grass cover um, to provide to provide the whole suite of, of habitat that the birds need, um, and particularly CRP. I'd have to look and see what the number is, but um, I know they don't have nearly as much as, as some of the surrounding states, and that's that's pretty telling of the, the pheasant population as well. But they do have them in pockets, um, and we are still doing plenty of work over there. We've got great chapters in Wisconsin. The largest land acquisition we've ever done in the history of Pheasants Forever is located in Wisconsin, and we mm. continue to do acquisition efforts. So Wisconsin's got some good things going for it. And uh, they, need, they need more grass on the landscape, and we can help with that on, on public and private lands through our biologist program that we have uh, in the uh, in the dairy state. When you talk about hunter numbers and you hear about declining license sales and this and that, one of the biggest issues, I think, or when you ask somebody, why aren't you a hunter? Why don't you go? Uh, one answer I hear a lot is access and, and, and access to places to hunt. And I think that's the beauty of pheasant hunting is you don't need a lot of land to do it. You don't need a lot of gear to do it. You don't need to get up at 4 a.m. and set a thousand decoys. 
Uh, you don't need a dog. I certainly think, I don't know if I would go without one personally. I think you, you it helps to have one, but you don't need it. Dogs it, help. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the, you know, aside from dove hunting, realistically, it's one of the easiest things, easiest hunting opportunities you have out there. Sometimes you just don't have places to go. So opening up that public land uh, helps uh, helps take away one of those barriers of entry for maybe somebody that's looking to uh, get into hunting and and uh, go out and experience something. And that's one thing, obviously, that you guys do is acquire land and open it up to, to hunting, pub, you know, the hunting public. How, how many acres of that you know, in Minnesota, how busy have you guys been acquiring land? Well, let me preface it a little bit in that in the last 12 months, Pheasants Forever actually added the word uh, access or public access to our to our mission statement because we, we've been doing it since 1982. So um, throughout the nation as a whole, uh, we've conserved uh, about probably a little bit more now than 200, 212,000 acres. So that's the equivalent of 331 square miles for pheasant hunters to go out and explore it's a lot of land if you were to just just the outside of the acres um if you're just explore the the boundaries of those acres it would take you all the way from canada down to the mexico border so yes um access uh really really is the name of a game to get more people outside and in minnesota um when you talk about the legacy amendment where we voted to tax ourselves in 2008 and that money goes into a pot that's split a couple different ways but um, you know, through outdoor heritage funds and the things that we're doing in Minnesota, in this state alone, uh, we've conserved over 60,000 acres. Um, and this past past year, I had the opportunity during COVID um, to, to get in my truck and go uh, visit a whole bunch of wildlife management areas and waterfowl production areas and take pictures, uh, write descriptions, uh, acres, funding partners, those types of things. And uh, we've, we've come up now, we've published a land acquisitions map on our website. Um, if you go to pheasantsforever.org and go to the conservation tab uh, and go to public land acquisitions map, uh, you can see there on the screen in front of you, it's um, divided out, uh, I believe, well, there's waterfall production areas and wildlife, wildlife management areas. And you can click on them and uh, shows you everything you need to know. Um, you can go to a satellite view. You can use the aerial view uh, from the roads, road system to figure out how to get there. And as you zoom in further, it's integrated with the DNR's map so you can see what other public lands uh, are mm. close other than the ones that Pheasants Forever has purchased. So we hang our hat on that um, with our Call of the Uplands campaign right now. In the next five years, we're looking at doing 75,000 acres of permanent protection. Um, Minnesota is obviously going to be a, a big part of that as well. And uh, yeah, access is, is what we hang our hat on. And it's one of the reasons why people are members of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Access is something that uh, it's gonna be there forever. And it's open to anyone to go out and recreate, bird watch, uh, or just hang out and watch mother nature at its best. I like to watch birds in front of my gun barrel, personally. But, uh, <laughs> That's hey, the other one. That's pull, the other one too. Pull that map back up, Dan. Um, and click on one of those areas. So is that your handiwork? Is that your photograph right there then? Uh, that might not be mine personally. We did, we did have some uh, in the bank already, but oh, went okay. out and if you go kind of down by the uh, Mankato area or straight out 55, I took a, took a lot of those photos, but uh, um, all of the uh, descriptions on there is uh, a little bit, a little bit of my handiwork. So Nice. Um, pretty, pretty proud of the map and, and proud of our staff. And it doesn't happen. Uh, it doesn't happen easily. 
doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of partners, a lot of chapters, a lot of volunteers, and a lot of money. But uh, we're we're doing our best, and even even that, even with the amount of acquisition that we've done, um, there's a uh, there's a public lands map available uh, on the internet somewhere that shows you know in the pheasant range 94 I94 and south, um, you know most most of these counties in the pheasant range only have you know two to six percent public public lands um and we'd, we'd like to add more to that and obviously we need more um but uh just goes to show that th there's room to grow and there's landowners out there that that want to work with pheasants forever and we want to work with them so if somebody wants to leave a legacy in the future um call us we'd, we'd love to take a look at your property for consideration as a as a future public lands that's available for minnesota is there plans to expand that to other states then yeah, this this map is going to go nationwide. Um, mm. We've done a whole bunch of work in the state of Iowa, uh, South Dakota. We just did the Kessler game production area by Pickerel uh, Lake, which is 440 acres, pheasants, grouse, deer all over that. Um, Montana, we've done a lot. Kansas, we've done a lot. Uh, Illinois, we've done a few. Um, Missouri, we just did a huge one this last year. So yeah, we've got we've got acquisitions going kind of all over the place. The East Coast, we've got a few going right now that'll be added to it. So yeah, that that map uh, will be continue to be updated and and uh, get our full amount of acquisitions on there that we've done since 1982. Very good. Well, we should be able to find some birds out there. Obviously, um, might be a little bit older little tougher to, to hunt and hopefully some of these younger birds made it through as well but either way i'm looking forward to the season once again jared we should uh we should go walk through some grass together get our dogs run around together chase some birds around at some point here this year um so good luck in your adventures until then and thanks for being on the show today looking forward to it thanks brett this has been the finding fur and feathers hunting podcast part of the sporting journal radio family Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at findingfurandfeathers.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx.